This is a persecution that enters our lives when we are simply becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. When we are loving him more, when we are growing into his, to his form and image and talking like him and shining, loving like him and being salt of the earth like he wants us to do. That's the kind of persecution the Bible is talking about that we are blessed by. Hi, and welcome to Live in the Light. Hey, here at Live in the Light, we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. In fact, like most radio programs, we are supported by folks like you, not just financially, but more importantly, through your encouragement and most importantly, through your prayers. So, hey, as we finish our series today in the Beatitudes, a series we've called The Life That God Blesses, would you take a moment to reach out to us by phone or website to let us know how God has been using this teaching in your lives? And hey, let us know if you're praying for us. We'd love to hear from you. And honestly, it just means so much to us all. Well, just a reminder to stay tuned at the end of the program for the information on grabbing a copy of today's message or even to grab the whole series. But for now, let's go to our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons, as we wrap up our look in the Beatitudes with today's message, The Blessing of Persecution. Some people take a zealousness to a level that is not necessary. They offend people unnecessarily, actually doing damage to the gospel. Think of all the legalistic behaviors we have seen over the years that have wounded so many people and brought reproach upon the name of Christ. People like in the pharisaical type of behavior, they're just out there on a limb and Jesus is like, I never told you to go there. And they have made big deals out of things that should not be. People who are, um, are uh, fanatical, People who become obsessed with a detail that Jesus is not obsessed with. But they turn this obsession into a life doctrine. And if you don't agree with them, then they say, come here. And they go, whack, often with their Bible, trying to say that's what God would have done to you if he was here right now, all right? And those people are fanatical. And I think they have moved outside of the realm of what is right and appropriate and healthy for the things within the church. And what happens is this often results in a persecution for the wrong reasons. I mean, just think about some of the blogs in our day. There are very helpful blogs in our day. There are very unhelpful blogs in our day. The world that we live in right now is such that if you wanted to, you can get on the internet and you can decide that you're now self-appointed master of the church and you can judge anyone and everything as you determine. Here's what's amazing to me. Some of these bloggers, they have decided they are the accountability for all the church, yet they have no accountability themselves. That makes no sense to me. No church can be set up that way. I can't be the pastor of this church without accountability of elders around me. The moment that happens, we're done. I'm done, you're done. But these people, they decide they're gonna stand up and they're gonna pronounce what is right to whoever they feel like doing it, yet no one again is holding them accountable. I'd like to get these people sometimes and just ask one question. What's it like to always be right? Like that must be interesting, you know? Cause like, what's it like to always know the answer to everything and always be right on every issue? You can't be right on every issue all the time, which speaks more to the arrogance, I think, of some attitudes and behaviors. There could be good intentions there, but I think wrong methods a lot of the time. Now listen, I'm not against rebuke. There's a time for rebuke and you know me well enough to know that. 
but it's how it's done. It's when it's done, it's to whom it's done. And it's in the spirit of the love of the word that exhorts us to care for people in truth and in love. And that's what's so key. If you're not doing that, then in your, these ministries can actually be founded on persecution. Like that's what they do. They persecute everything and everyone. And then that brings persecution on the church as a whole because people look inside and say, why are you guys so violent against one another? How come everyone's so angry all the time? Again, the irony in all of this, I think one of the principles that I'm trying to live on so much is refuse, resolve and refuse to die on hills that Jesus isn't dying on. Refuse to make your life about something that Jesus is like, I'm not going with you on that hill. You wanna go? Okay, go ahead to your own demise. I'm not going there. I'm going on Calvary. I'm dying on Calvary for the gospel, for the glory of, of God Almighty Jesus. I'm, I'm not going on that hill. But people are saying, well, I'm, I am Jesus. I don't care what you say. And they walk up this hill and they choose to die on that hill for reasons that Jesus would not do so. We can save ourselves a lot of unnecessary pain and heartache simply by operating in wisdom and not subjecting the church to persecution that the Lord never intended for it to happen. People overzealous, people fanatical, um, people who are sinful uh, bring on persecution for the wrong reasons. Make sure you're crystal clear on this, okay? When I suffer for, uh, for consequences of sin that I have committed, that's not persecution, that's consequences for sin, okay? If you have some awful sinful behavior that has happened in your life and your family looks at you and, and people are greatly upset with you and this has brought on great um, hardship in your life, that's not biblical persecution. Again, that's consequences for sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. So make sure we're crystal clear. Woe is me, self-pity, I'm a victim. Not if it's a consequence for your sin, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, not unrighteousness. So we got to make sure we're totally clear on that. And in that case, we are suffering a form of, it's not really being persecution, it's consequences. But sometimes we can label it as such. So the question becomes, then, well, then what is the right kind of persecution? When are we on the right track for true persecution blessedness? Verse 10 when we are persecuted for righteousness sake. Verse 11, when we are persecuted on account of Jesus Christ, on my account, he said. So plainly speaking, this is a persecution that enters our lives when we are simply becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. When we are loving him more, when we are growing into his, to his form and image and talking like him and shining, loving like him and being salt of the earth like he wants us to do. That's the kind of persecution the Bible is talking about that we are blessed by. 2 Timothy 3, 12 on the screen for you. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that's the key, holiness, godliness in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. That is the guaranteed life of guaranteed blessing in the area of persecution. Holiness and godliness and humility in Jesus Christ. What does that look like? It looks like persecution for standing for truth, not compromising in your faith, not ashamed of the gospel, not afraid or ashamed of our savior and showing him. It's the persecution from, comes from shining the light of Jesus Christ in our dark world. And know what's so interesting here is that the beatitude that precedes this one is blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. What is a peacemaker? A peacemaker, and I love this insight and truth, peacemaker is ultimately not, let, let's not all hold hands and get along, everyone and everything. A peacemaker is someone who has received the peace of God, the gospel, 
They have been reconciled to God. They are now not enemies of God. They are friends of God. They are children of God. They have received the peace of God and they desire now to take that peace of God and share it with others. The truest sense in the pure form of biblical peacemaker is someone who has received God's peace and desires to share God's peace. It's the call from 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. Paul says, I implore you to be reconciled to God. Our job is we have received peace from God by faith in him. We want to take man now and reconcile them to God by sharing the gospel. Hence, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. They're living out the reality of what they've been given in Jesus Christ. But here's the amazing part. Verse nine says in Matthew five, blessed are the peacemakers, but the peacemakers are the ones who are persecuted in verse 10. You see, it's the very fact that you're a peacemaker for the righteousness of God and for the gospel that you're persecuted as a result because you're trying to love people with the message of Christ and seeing them safe from their sin, death, and hell. It's incredible. The reason our world hates us the most is simply because we're trying to love them with the message of life eternal. The irony is profound. It's, it's so incredible, but that is what Satan opposes. Again, Christ, the gospel, and the peacemakers. Satan hates us because we are trying to save people from Satan's wrath and death and eternity with him in hell. And therefore, the peacemakers are the ones who are persecuted. It's profound to me. It's amazing. You know, that's why I heard just recently too that Herod and his soldiers should be included within the nativity scene. And I think they're right. I think if you're gonna include the wise men in the, in the nativity scene, I understand the time lapse that is most likely there from the wise men and not initially at the birth of Jesus Christ a year or two after. But if you're gonna include the wise men, I think we should. Matthew 2 is part of the Christmas story. They've come to worship gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's very powerful. They see the star there rejoicing, sealing with great joy. But they come and they talk to Herod about this. He finds out about this. Herod is tremendously threatened. And then in a dream, after they say, Jesus, they are warned to exit another way. Herod finds out about this. He is furious. And because he is such an evil man, as Satan works through him, notice what's happening here. He gives the order for soldiers to go to the little town of Bethlehem to take every male child under two years of age and to massacre them, to murder every, I got a couple of boys, do you? Every boy under the two, uh, under age of two years and to murder them. Why? because he is so afraid of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. At the moment Jesus Christ is born, Satan is doing whatever he can to persecute, to kill, to torture, to snuff out the reality of the righteousness of Christ. In this, in this case, seen in the form of a child who has come to save the world from their sins. Amazing. And nothing has changed really from that point on. I got these stats from Christians in crisis. Do you know that since Christ was raised from the dead, over 43 million Christians have died for their faith. But here's the staggering part. 50% of these in the last 100 years alone. Each day, more than 200 million Christians face persecution. 60% of them are children. Over 300 Christians are killed every single day, they say, for their faith, for their love of, of Jesus Christ for their desire to be peacemakers in this world. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I won't soon forget hearing a story of a Chinese pastor 
who was speaking how he was praying for the church in North America. And he said to, let's say, a North American pastor, he says, the church in China here, we are praying for you because we know how hard you have it. North American pastor is like, what do you mean how hard we have it? You the guys are the one who are persecuted. He's like, that's my point exactly. The reason that the church in China is praying for you in North America so fervently is because you are not persecuted. And therefore you have it in a sense too easy. And therefore you will not find the blessing that we do under the weight and the burden, but the blessing of actually being persecuted openly for your faith. He's right. Now, we don't like to think he's right. Our flesh says, well, I don't really want persecution, but the reality is if persecution ever came to this land in some kind of actual, evident, outright way, man, you would find the church get smaller, but way, way stronger. You would find the church being purified true and through. You'd find out who's here for the real game and who's here just playing around. You would find out who's willing to live at a cost for their life and holes who are in it just trying to find a good way to get to heaven by being a good person. You'd find out who was real and who was fake fast. And that's one of the blessings of persecution where you would pick up God's word and you would treasure every time you get to read it because maybe you're hiding in a cave to do so. The blessing of persecution in ways we don't understand. Now, loved ones, we've been in a bit of a bubble for a while now, but I think we can agree this bubble's bursting in our day. Now, I want you to make sure you understand this too when it comes to what persecution. It's not always physical torture or physical death. It's not always physical harm. In fact, look at verse 11. You find out here, persecution clearly, blessed are you when others revile you. That's verbal persecution. And persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Verbal persecution, falsely on my account, more verbal persecution. So what we're, we're learning here, and a lot of us are up against in small ways or big ways right now. I've talked to many of you already this weekend. There's a whole whack load of people in our church. The more you live for Jesus Christ, the more you're attracting opposition to that faith. The more you are finding people at this point verbally insulting. I had a guy come up to me just last service and just said before the service, like I went up and I said, Merry Christmas. I was told I can't say Merry Christmas anymore. It's Merry Christmas. I mean, my goodness, if you can't say that, what can you say? Well, you can't say that. Who says? People. Why? Fundamentally, they hate Jesus. And many, many of you are up against family, people, workplace, schooling, or increasingly the verbal persecution because of our faith in Jesus Christ is growing and growing. But if you take the words of Jesus right now, like that's a good sign. And there will be a profound blessing within that, whether we realize it or not. John Stott said this, he said, we shouldn't be surprised if anti-Christian hostility increases. We should be surprised if it doesn't. And that's true. Turn your eyes upon this truth. Hunger for righteousness and expect persecution. Jesus is saying here that being rejected or persecuted is a mark of the Beatitudes as much as anything else within the Beatitudes. And that's another turning point right now. It's another, we don't think that way. Persecution for the righteousness of Jesus Christ is as much as a good sign as poor in spirit, meek, merciful, hungering, whatever it, it might be. John 15 on the screen for you, Jesus says this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Think about what he's saying here. You are hated because you love Jesus. 
because you belong to Jesus Christ. Is Jesus clear here or unclear? He's clear. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Align your expectations with what the Bible actually teaches. And with the Bible's teaching today, and Jesus, I mean, how much clearer does he have to be? If they hated me, they're gonna hate you, Robbie. If they persecuted me, Robbie, they're gonna persecute you. Why? Because you love me and you desire to see other people reconciled to God with peace on earth. Amazing. But that's the way the battle of good and evil goes. Persecution is a good sign, loved ones, and persecution is a good sign for the right reason. And now we come to point number three, persecution for a great reward. Here's probably my favorite. I like every point, but this point, certainly we need to be fired up about. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. All right, we're getting a little bit better for the prophets who were before you. So one of the principles I keep trying to show you is how much the Bible talks about heaven, how much the Bible talks about future glory, how much the Bible is exhorting us to live for today because of what is in reality tomorrow. And here the Bible talks about it again. Like every beatitude seems to result in, you will be blessed if you do this because of what is in reality. You're sons of God, there's the kingdom of heaven right now for your reward is great in heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. Here it is again. And remember the command here is to rejoice and be glad. It's not just a, a faint smile. It's leap for joy. Again, we saw in Luke 6. New King James Version says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you are persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. It reminds me that phrase of the wise men seeing the star and they rejoice with an exceeding joy, with great joy over their life as they approach the worship of the Lord and Savior who has come to see forgiveness from their sins. And the Bible in Matthew 5 verse 12 is calling from us today big time joy. But a big time joy in what? A big time joy in your reward. For great is your reward in heaven. And what is that reward in heaven? It's the glory of our salvation. It's the conquering of Satan. It's the death of sin forever. It's the entire blessing and eternal presence of God. That is the joy that we await, that we leap for joy in now because the reality of our reward that is coming. Again, I keep trying to show us, really, Jesus is trying to show us from his word. The more you live for your reality in the future, the more it changes your reality in the present. That's what the mature Christian does. That's where their joy comes from. Their joy does not come from this on the screen for you. That's not joy. Our world has the gall to tell us that this restaurant gives us pure joy, whatever. I mean, give me a break. Might give me a bloated stomach or something, but it's not giving me pure joy, right? You can't even use those words in this such meaningless terms of, of chewing on French fries. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's just wrong. Joy is reserved 
in its purest form for those who love Jesus Christ and know that they are guaranteed a spot and a mansion in glory with him forever and ever and ever. And the moment you see that and you live for that and that transforms you is the moment it will change how you live this life, how you deal with heartaches, how you encounter trials, how you deal with stress, how you go from the ups and the downs when you know the end is guaranteed. It changes how you play the game. Loved ones, if you are told in a game that you are guaranteed to win, that you are guaranteed the eternal grand prize, it changes then how you handle the stresses of the game that you are playing. It changes how you live this life if you know how it ends and you win, doesn't it? It's kind of like when I'm, um, um, if I recorded a, a game of a team that I cheer for, and if I press play on that game and I'm watching this that's been recorded, and if I know the end result of this game, and if my team won, and if they won the prize, as I watch this game, what happens? They could be down 30 nothing in the first quarter. I'm like, this is amazing. I can't wait to see how they come back and win, right? If they're down five goals after the first period, I'm like, this is gonna be awesome because I know how, they, what happens? Through the downs of the game, I'm not affected because I know the end result. This is the Christian life. This is what you and I are called to live out. Amen, you wanna clap and clap, amen. Because it's true, because it's true. In a sense, we are pressing play on a life that we know how it ends. We know the end result. Jesus tells us over and over and over again, my child, you win. My child, you're with me in glory. My child, you cannot be defeated. My child, you cannot be hurt. My child, you cannot be lost. My child, it will end great. And so you are handling the stresses of this life then with the reality of, I can not lose and therefore it changes how you interact with all the difficulties that we're presented with because in the reality of eternity they're not difficulties at all that's what the Lord wants to say to us today John Piper says this in his Christmas devotional I read this week so perfect Christmas is for freedom think about this freedom from the fear of death Jesus took our nature in Bethlehem to die our death in Jerusalem, that we might be fearless in our city now and heaven. Yes, fearless. Why, why? Because if the biggest, just think carefully about this, because if the biggest threat to my joy is gone, then why should I fret over the little ones? How can you say, well, I'm not afraid to die, but I'm afraid to lose my job. And as John might say, I can just see him saying this. He's like, no, no, think, you know, think about what you just said. How can you say I'm not afraid to die, but I'm afraid of losing my job? He's so right. That's what Jesus is trying to say to us. The blessing of your reward is great in heaven so you can leap with joy being persecuted for your faith because of what you know is true. You see, you see, you know, listen, don't hear what I'm saying to you today. Hear what God is saying to you today. All I am is a mouthpiece for what God so clearly says in his word right now. And so clearly God is saying to all of his children here today and those who can become his children today, he's like, I want to bless you. And I wanna bless you by allowing you to take what is fact 
and apply faith to that fact, which will result in right feeling. That's how it's got to work. You got to take the fact of joy and the fact of joy today is that if you're in Jesus Christ, man, you are blessed. And no matter what happens, you cannot lose, but you got to believe in that fact. You have to place your faith that you are wrong and Jesus is right. And that then will lead to the right feelings in this life. You can't get your feelings leading the train. You got to get your feelings as the caboose. Get the, get the engine to be fact and then apply faith to that fact. And that causes you to have right feelings within this life. This is, this is what I'm longing for within this church. You know, I read this week um, about, about martyrs who literally leaped and hugged the stake that they were about to be burned at. Who does that? The one who says, and this guy said, I'm about to go home and I can't wait. Wow. Like, is that possible? Uh huh. It is possible. You know, people in our church, I mean, bless people who are, who are literally up against death, um, suffering from severe illness. And I heard a couple this week in an email and just read they have approaching the glories of heaven with brighter and brighter anticipation. And they mean it because they know that great is the reward in heaven. My prayer is that we would end with joy today. My prayer is that we would hear the call of God today and we have a Holy Spirit, truth-saturated joy. It doesn't matter what's happened to you today or this week or your life. It doesn't matter. You can choose today to ask for a joy that can overwhelm sadness, a joy that can overcome heartache, a joy that can defeat pain, a joy that can cause you to rise above the stormy clouds, a joy that can shine light in darkness, a joy that can see vividly the reality of your salvation, a joy that runs like the shepherds, a joy that worships like the wise men, a joy that magnifies the Lord like Mary, a joy that beholds the Son of God like Simeon, a joy that endures like Paul, a joy that speaks boldly like Peter, a joy that is fearless like Stephen, a joy within persecution, a joy that's not ashamed of the gospel, a joy that will never be ashamed of their Savior, a joy among us that sees our reward, the reality of our reward. A joy that knows how good God is and what great things he's done for me. That's the joy that God wants us to see again today to allow us to smile, to rejoice, to feel. But again, I'll say it again. Your fact of joy today, right here, undeniable, must be encountered with faith. Okay, You're about to have the chance to sing right now in response to this message. You must, in your voice and in your song, place your faith in the words that you are singing that are true. And that's what results then in the feeling that God wants to give you no matter where you are in this life. I implore you right now, as we respond, smile. Tell your face what your heart believes. Allow yourself, raise your hands, clap your hands, exalt your God with a volume you haven't done maybe ever before. Get off your tush and tell your God how thankful you are to all he's done for you. Choose joy today based on what is true in your life. 
Who cares who's beside you? Who cares what's going on? Tell God how much he has done for you. You have done great things for me, oh God, and I'm tired of keeping it quiet. I'm tired of keeping it silent. I'm tired of in my woes, I'm going for the grace, the mercy, the love, and the joy of God right now. And I'm gonna tell him with abandonment from my heart and soul today. That's what he wants from us because of what he's done for us. Let me pray for us right now. Father in heaven, I pray that joy would fill this church. Every man, every woman, every child, God. I pray the joy, it's, it's not a joy that's if, it's a joy that's within us right now. It's a joy that is real. It's a joy that only needs to be accessed by the truth of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that we might declare the glories of God. God, I pray, would you help us right now to place fact with faith and then feeling? Would you grant to us, Lord, by your grace, you want us to love you so much. You are jealous for our love, God. And you again call us for a greater love from our lives. May you find that today, Lord. May you find it because we love you because great is our reward in heaven, Lord, because we can never die, because one day so soon, Lord, we will see you in your majesty and your glory, and we will know the reason we live and the reason that today, Lord, that no evil, that no lies will, will prevent us from this joy that is found in you. Oh God, may it be so. Turn this church on fire, Lord, I pray. Ignite us, O oh Lord, with more than we've ever known before in the blessing and the glory of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Well, a convicting message for sure, but one that finds us at the end clinging again to the grace that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Loved ones, there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. We cling to that truth today as we wrap up this episode and pray that God's grace be with you this day. Thanks for joining us today, listeners. We hope you join us again next time here on Live in the Light.